Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the January 9th, 2018 edition of Ask a Leader. It's National Mentoring Month. Happy New Year, and eaters and everyone else tuning in. And we're going to devote the whole hour to mind candy. So sit down and take it. So we're going to have UCI Science Policy Group, Richard Prince, Christy Mortales, Tara White, and they're going to be joined with recently graduated engineering student Alex McDonald and undergraduate Nick Paganini, entirely revved up group of STEM graduate students and graduate student turned professional and undergrads, I said, who refuse to take the current political status quo sitting down as they promote science, policy, literacy amongst their members. We've got opportunities galore for listeners, including STEAM students, to join in the special and ongoing events convened by Science Policy Group. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show. My guests for the entire hour are UCI's Science Policy Group, Richard Prince, Christy Mortales, Tara White, along with STEM guys working on other political measures, UCI engineering grad Alex McDonald and undergraduate Nick Paganini. They're all increasingly involved in politics and policy. Nick's sitting in with us because he's going to make an example to all you undergrads out there. First, Christy Mortales. She's from Seattle, Washington, and completed her undergraduate work at the University of Washington. She is now a PhD student at UCI in the School of Medicine. Her research involves better understanding our immune system so scientists can create more effective therapies for people with diseases like multiple sclerosis. Her science policy and advocacy aspirations include improving public engagement and STEM education for disadvantaged youth. One. Number two, Richard Prince is a third-year biomedical engineering graduate student currently doing research with the Padma Labs. So he's a native Tennessean. He studied science policy and biophysics at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. He's a founding member of the science policy group at UC and current president, as well as the legislative director for the Associated Graduate Students of UCI. That's kept him bi-coastal this last fall quarter. And you know why. He's a third-year biomedical engineering doctoral student. His research focuses on biophotonics, the use of light to study biological systems of the microscopic level. In particular, Richard focuses on development of microscope systems to better visualize biological structure as it relates to disease. He was formerly a zone counselor. we got to put this stuff in. At the Society of Physics <laughs> and was teaching assistant for the governor's schools in Knoxville. He completed his bachelor's of science in science policy and physics at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. Three of our five. Tara White is Vice President of Science Policy Group. She completed her Bachelor's of Science in Neuroscience and Molecular Biology from Tulane University. She's now PhD student in the Department of Neurobiology and Behavior at UC Irvine, researching how our immune system affects memory function. As Vice President of the the science policy group at UCI. She's interested in finding ways to incorporate scientific evidence into the public policy making. Four, Alex McDonald is on Brian Ford's congressional campaign in the 45th district. He's a former mechanical engineering graduate student researcher and recent graduate from the Henry Samueli School of Engineering at UCI. He's graduated just this last fall. Congratulations again. 
He completed his undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering and political science at Washington State University. He has an extensive repertoire in energy projects, including California Energy Commission's Advanced Energy Community Initiative, and also two solar decathlons as a commercial air conditioning consultant for Wood Harbinger, project engineer for Harder Mechanical. Transportation project projects as an undergraduate include Seattle Area Light Rail, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge expansion, a piece of technology there, UC Irvine's entry into Elon Musk's Hyperloop competition, a public bike co-op, yoo-hoo, along with the projects with an Engineers Without Borders chapter he founded at Washington State as an undergraduate. Nick, our last, our mop-up, and our fifth and undergraduate example, he hails from Lake Arrowhead. He's now a fourth year in environmental science at UCI, finishing up this year. He plans on studying environmental law or getting his water treatment certification post-graduation. That is going to be one sexy a credential because we're, that that certifying is we're going to all want to know who's on that job when things start to get pretty bad with the dwindling potable water supply. At UCI, he's a member of the Climatopedia Sigma Alpha Epsilon and is a campus tour guide. He's our undergraduate, making an example of himself along with the rest, all of whom enjoyed me in studio. So much mind candy and so little time. What famous person rung that one out, okay? Welcome to Ask a Leader, Christina, Richard, Tara, Alex, and Nick. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. We're going to have, and they're going to all say their name, so you've got the two women and the three guys all stored up. First is taking stock of all the activism that introduced me to all of you as an indication of project, uh, the, the progress in our body politics. So... Um, I've been meeting you at a lot of political forums that are convened by the Climate Action, uh, Climate th 314, Climate, or 314 Science. So what the three of you that are involved with the science policy, let's, let's hear what your mission is. That was, it was just formed as recently as September 2016. So, yes, Richard. Hi, Claudia. This is Richard. With the Science Policy Group, our mission is to teach grad students and undergrads how to engage with the public with regards to making policy based on evidence and based on scientific opinion. We've seen in the last few years a lot of policy that's not really based on anything other than beliefs, and we want to counter that by teaching scientists that they can get out of the lab and engage so that their work actually makes a difference in the lives of ordinary people. Thank you. Now, Krista, you were helping with setting this up, too. Did you want to say anything in addition? Um, no, I think okay. Richard pretty much oh. covered most of it. Okay, okay, great. Just the general stuff. Anyway. So, literacy. So, that's one of the, the charters here for getting constituents, getting students, getting faculty, administrators, everybody, getting them on board with all the talks that are being given. Let's, let's talk about how that's working how your, I mean, it's a big bite to chew off here. So how you're finding a way to make that come together, come together. Christy? Well, okay. Um, we're, we're kissing microphones today. Got it, this yeah. Is our, this is your new job, SPG. Awesome. At, at uh, all. Well, I think we're all in this boat together. Um, I think what we found with... Uh, the most recent election last year is um, it started to fire people up and um, we're all kind of just learning how to 
you know, navigate this new political climate together. And um, it's pretty invigorating just to see how, you know, involved people want to become now. All right. So. That's where I'm always looking for the positive feedback group for people to be engaged. And so that's you can talk to that as you're talking about, you know, ongoing organizing internally and the forums that you're putting on. So and right. and I, I want to get a, a, a feel from all five of you when you first were all fired up. But speaking of let's run with with Christie's moniker here about how uh, I mean, did this happen like from you were reading? Time magazine from uh, as soon as you were done uh, doing your tables in second grade or I mean how how long has this been a part of your consciousness maybe Tara, Tara can start with that sure well I've been politically aware I guess since early college but um, was there some sort of breaking event some development let's see Okay, well, I can't remember in particular, but what I do remember is um, a few years ago when the Iran nuclear deal was in development, I started paying attention a little more to how science influences um, policy and politics. And so that's when I started seeking out involvement in on-campus organizations that are interested in that sort of thing. So um, that's when I started meeting people who are now uh, mostly on the board of Science Policy Group or alumni of the Science Policy Group. And it's been a great experience just learning more about these issues and also befriending people from different departments. And so that kind of camaraderie is very nice. Okay, that's one. Let's hear from everybody what got you this policy politics bug. Here comes Richard Prince. So for me, it really started in undergrad. Around the time I was a sophomore, there was an issue that came out where some scientists made a breakthrough with the genetic code of influenza. Unfortunately, they were barred or attempted to be barred from publication by the European Union and the United States for fear of bioterrorism. And I got to thinking, well, this has a lot of analogs with the advent of the nuclear era when we had all this research coming out that was classified or some thought needed to be classified to prevent the spread of nuclear weapons. I thought, okay, these are very similar events, and I wanted to start researching that. But then I became involved personally um, when sequestration happened because at the time, like Claudia which mentioned— is the, which, which was— the spending ratcheted down in every conceivable arena yes. of the federal budget. Yes, it was a cut to all parts of the federal budget. Some people forget about that. They think they're thinking of sequestration of carbon. No, no. So this so, is sequestration this, of this, budget. They're both happening. Something that Not. wasn't supposed to happen at the federal level, but did. And at the time, I was an undergrad, heavily involved with physics education. And what we knew was going to happen was the moment those federal budget cuts hit everyone was going to get rid of their summer research programs for undergrads, and this was going to hurt the United States in the creation of our STEM workforce. And so I went to Congress, and I spent a few days lobbying on the Hill for science funding to make its way through sequestration, and I loved it and realized this is something that scientists need to be more engaged in. Okay. Alex McDonald. So I, I guess my transition uh, into political awareness was not anything necessarily overnight. There were a series of milestones or events. Uh, both of my parents worked at Hanford, which is uh, a that's, huge... That's two for five of people that were near a nuclear uh, nu facility. Yeah, Oak Ridge yeah, and yeah. Hanford. So, and so they both had plutonium in spades, right? 
So, so, so you guys should be glow- lighting up the studio. <laughs> I, I, I glow in the dark. Yeah, um, yeah. Hanford's particularly interesting because it's one of the most polluted places on the planet. It's also where the, they made the bomb grade for Nagasaki. Um, yep. And I grew up reading this uh, one particular comic book called Barefoot Jen. And um, uh, it was a real life, uh, based on a real life account of surviving uh, the nuclear bomb. And so as a child, I became very aware of nuclear proliferation and, uh, and was very concerned about waste associated with um, uh, nuclear production. Now, fast forward, um, some series of, uh, of personal injuries. Um, I, by the time I hit college, I became very aware of, of uh, uh, how lucky I was to grow up. You know, with, I, both my parents are engineers. Okay. Um, and so I grew up in a high quality uh, a life relative pr- to perhaps many others. And, and uh, I guess in thinking that, I, I, I took a look at quality of life indices and I realized that as you increase quality of life, um, populations naturally level out and we've got more than enough resources to make sure that everyone's got uh, a pretty decent quality of life. So I, I pivoted then, started doing humanitarian work overseas with uh, Engineers Without Borders. Um, and then the Iraq war happened uh, I start, I, and my interest turned domestic. Uh, organized uh, against the Iraq war a bit as an undergrad. Um, and then uh, I, come 2008, uh, I was turning away jobs because um, I'd also worked in the private sector a bit. I decided to jump on board with the Obama campaign. And then as I was watching that, uh, or as I was involved with that, uh, you know, I got on TV and saw George Bush say, hey, we screwed up. The economy is going to collapse. Good luck with the next guy. Um, and uh, and had to survive through 2008. So, uh, but ever since then, my, my, my interests have turned domestic. Um, I'm very much uh, interested and excited about uh, sustainable development, 100% renewable, and um, and I've been involved ever since. So. Okay. Thank you, Nick. Hi, this is Nick. So, my interest in politics actually began while I was in college. I thought I was interested in politics while I was in high school, but it turns out um, due to the the fact that I came from a very small conservative town, Lake Arrowhead, California. Um, I was actually very uh, blanketed from the outside world, so I had a very big political awakening when I came to university. To this um, one? I started, yes, came to UC Irvine. I started taking classes, becoming educated on pretty much every scientific topic that's relevant today. And I found when I was returning home and speaking to people at family functions, at parties, pretty much anything, I'd always I'd always uh, end up with me arguing against like a dozen people in uh, some sort of heated political debate. Um, And I realized, you know, there needs to be a lot more done um, as far as scientific knowledge in our populace and then a step further, scientific knowledge in the policy that we're passing. So that's gotten me a bit fired up at this point in my collegiate career. All right. So that's the anatomy of how you're getting into it. Now you're in the... Three of you are in the science policy group, and I don't know if Nick, if you're going to be uh, looking at the board uh, before you, you know, any kind of board membership or something like that. We're, are we recruiting on there here? But yeah, <laughs> but but I know, it, but you're plugged into lots of the local science political action meetings. But uh, that so, is true. So yes. I imagine there there are there board <clears throat> positions still open. Well, I do believe the science policy group is strictly for graduate students. Okay. Oh, so for all you graduate students out there, look up the science policy group. I'm sure they could use some more membership. Actually, I can say that we are not for just grad students. We do welcome undergrads. We just haven't had many join us yet. 
Okay. In that case, Richard, I would love to join. All right. So (laughs) the ink will be wet in the studio here. So for those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask Lead on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And we're streaming, by the way, all over the world on the web. Who knows who in Stockholm is listening right now? My guests for the full hour are UCI's Science Policy Group. That's Richard Prince, Christy Mortales, and Tara White, as well as unaffiliated but totally plugged in, recently graduated Alex McDonald and undergrad Nick Paganini at, at UCI. So so we were talking about who's eligible and all this. So can, who wants to break down, maybe Tara can break down the demographics of the science policy group so we know who's coming in. We know STEAM people. We, we talked about your STEM designation, but STEAM people are totally welcome, correct? Correct. Um, so right now we are primarily graduate students. I think this mostly... Um, comes from the fact that the founders were all graduate students, but um, undergrads are certainly welcome, as well as postdocs and, frankly, anyone on campus who's interested. Um, As far as academic disciplines, uh, we draw people from not just um, your typical science areas, but also economics, sociology, psychology, so really we're open to social science and humanities backgrounds as well. Um, so if you just have an interest in general in science or in how to promote um, evidence-based policymaking, we definitely encourage you to come join us. Well, I just want to mention in passing here is the School of the Performing Arts, all of their Masters of Fine Arts director candidates, they create plays from whole cloth, brand new plays. So if there's somebody that's involved with you, there could be like an entire drama around, you know, some kind of science development. So don't write them off. It's an interesting idea. Oh, it's totally interesting. And we hatch them all the time. And they come here. They they talk about their new plays. So that's um, everybody's involved there. Nick, did you have something that provoked you there? No. Yes. Just that I actually have a passion for theater and the fact that you mentioned that directors could uh, target something like science in their plays is, would be quite revolutionary. Okay, so there, everybody has so many marching orders already, and I am just trying to learn this stuff because every time I go to your meetings, um, and let's let's talk about some of the events that are coming up. And uh, there was a bruise in brains last Tuesday, yeah. but I don't know... Christy, just how often those are held, and we're going we're gonna to get to those as well as some something coming up on the 18th, I believe. Um, right. So as far as Brews and Brains, we have done some, cl- some collaborations with them in the past and plan to do so in the future. Um, I believe their next event is next Tuesday. And um, where's that going to be? It's, at, it's held at um, Rich, the Wait, Plaza, Plaza Hotel, Hotel in Costa Mesa. Okay. Right there on Bristol. Right. And, and that's that, a meetup. So everybody yes, can go meetup. to the meetup for Brews it's and Brains. to the general public. And they'll exactly. get all the details. Right. And what do they get done? It's just the coolest, <laughs> coolest thing you can do. Hottest date. Yeah. Idea. <laughs> Hottest date. Yeah. Um, oh, I So <laughs> we just, you know, love to talk about nerdy things. and uh, Oh, it's much science. more than that. Yeah. <laughs> practice our science communication skills, basically. Um, and educate the general public on all the amazing scientific research that's going on at UCI. And um, the communication skills, I hasten to say again, is it's making your science accessible to lay audiences, p- people like me that don't know anything. And it, it's just, and what was so cool about mm-hmm. seeing it, one that was done at the ARC last month, mm-hmm. was it was this trial, it was a, an uh, opiate addiction PhD research, and the way she used her mm-hmm. sort of cookbook analogy mm-hmm. to explain how those 
the uh, trans uh, I'm trying the, right. the the synapses sort of you use the uh, the cookbook analogy to explain the synapses and how that sort of reinforces with various associations addiction and you know throughout the neurological processing and so right. and what I liked is about how all the scientists uh, and the, all the techies in the uh, audience were all your sort of approval of mm-hmm. what an ingenious route it that was, was. Yeah. and so that there's so much going on you're learning and you're feeling this vibe of okay this is going to work and and probably people took away new ideas about how to present their own science right exactly um and so that's our plug for bruise and brains and their event next week uh precedes our big event coming up on the 18th which is our um uh our science policy public forum which is done in affiliation with uh the union of concerned scientists so um it's Richard, called uh, Letting Evidence Lead the Way right. Roundtable, Doheny Beach, at the Yeah, the at student the UCI Student Center in uh, Doheny Room C&D. Okay. Richard, what do you want to get done there? And who gets to come? Everybody? Everybody. Okay. So we welcome... That's the point. Absolutely everybody to this event. It's, like Christy said, sponsored by the Union of Concerned Scientists, and... As the title suggests, it's all about evidence in policy. And so we've invited political candidates, we've invited current policymakers, their staff, scientists, the general public, all to come and listen to some very short five-minute talks on some pressing issues that um, affect us here locally as well as the federal level and how science can be useful in tackling those issues. But as our name says it's a roundtable. We don't want to be talking to everybody. We don't want to be lecturing. So really, the whole point of it is to get all of these people's in the r- people in the room so that we can learn from them as well. We're going to ask everyone in that room, if you're a policymaker, how can we help you? That's the biggest thing I think we can do at this point is having worked for city councils, I know that you're very busy and that level of busyness just gets worse and worse as you work your way up the state and through the federal level. They don't necessarily have time to seek us out. We have to seek them out and offer our help in order to get these policies that are based on data and based on evidence that can actually help people. So you know what? I think congressional member Ed Royce ought to come since if he's if he's not going to serve another term, he actually he needs some marching orders of how to redeem a life of some sort of quaint kind of policy making maybe there's a you know we can get we can just watch and see who's looking for new uh, job descriptions in life like ed royce yes so tara, this is tara speaking um we are going to produce a white paper after this event um hopefully incorporating all of the feedback and suggestions we get on how to, again, better inform policy with science. Uh, so perhaps someone like Ed Royce can get a hold of this paper coming out. Okay, and so are, is that going to be posted on a website for Science Policy Group? Uh, yes, it will. We do have a website. Um, you can just Google you know, UCI Clubs SPG to get to the URL. But yes, this white paper will be publicly available. And we hope to distribute it to policymakers at all levels of government. So now we were talking about there's, that's on the, the 18th. Yes. My, yeah, right. And and then the next uh, Bruise and Brains will be on, that's on the, the 16th. On the 16th. And is there some other kind of a near uh, in the future event for people to put down their calendars? Richard? Well, I think everyone should keep an eye on our Twitter and on our website because we do have speakers throughout the quarter. We're hosting Jess Phoenix in February. Oh, 
29th congressional candidate, yes. a Vulcanist. Yes. I, I was going to ask her about her. Okay. So, so she's coming down? She is coming down. Uh, we just confirm, confirmed that a few days ago. Congratulations. And we're still working on our schedule. Our big focus right now is on the event next week on the 18th at the Student Center. Again, that's at uh, doors open at 430 and everyone's welcome. Food and drink is provided. Uh, so we hope to see people there. After that, we'll be doing professional development at our meetings as oh, really? we get into application cycles for policy positions. And so it's always an ever-evolving task of finding how we can best serve our members. Professional development, obviously communication skills. Anything else? Organization? I don't know. what, what Or just how to follow up and... Communication skills are a big one. Yeah. Um, also how to do policy research. A lot of our members... Oh have gone through their entire education doing nothing but uh, STEM-style research, and it's a whole different ballgame when you're doing policy. You have to be quick. You have to be willing to work on things that you haven't spent the last five years studying. So a lot of kind of how do we get you out of the lab type development. But communication is probably the biggest thing we do because it affects everything with policy. So um, let's see. I want to – yeah, Nick has one like that. Just own, own the mic. Claude, I also actually have something to say about yes. upcoming events oh, in the local good. arena. Yeah. So my club, Climatepedia, is a club dedicated to um, local climate action and local climate education on what's going on um, in the world today. And we're actually going to be having a panel called the Local Climate Action Panel in the next coming weeks. So keep your eye out for that from what? Climatepedia. A date? No date set yet. But okay, so we've got a... Are, the panels in our past have included... Multiple disciplines all coming together. Last year we had the Paris Climate Agreement panel, and it was very educational. So keep your eyes open for the local climate action panel. And is there a, a website for people to follow your mm -hmm. events and uh, yes, you know, calls you, to action? Yes, if you look up Climatepedia, we have an extraordinary website. Um, you'll see all kinds of testimonies from different scientists and what we're doing today. Climatepedia is a club at UCLA and at UC Irvine. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. So... Man, I hope other campuses are watching that, pick up the template and mm -hmm. run with it. I hope so. Well, is it palpable that it's a new day with activism amongst st science students? So, Alex, you've got maybe the longest view of watching people from Pullman to to Southern California, Northern California, and elsewhere. And can you, can you, is it a palpable sort of momentum building with activism among STEM kids and, uh, and grads and that kind of thing? Um. Okay, so so demographically, I think um, millennials, uh, people certainly under the age of 35, uh, are are getting more engaged, and and, and this translates uh, even into the STEM world as well. Um, I mean, Hillary Clinton won by you know some three million votes, uh, and and a lot of that came over across the board. Yeah, 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 yeah across the board. So, yeah. so uh, I I do see the the trends there. Um, but, you know, I think in the United States, these things ebb and flow. In the McCarthy era, it was pretty crazy. Uh, we've had civil rights. We've had slavery. I mean, uh, nu nuclear scare. I mean, these things ebb and flow, I think, in this country. Um, and, and maybe, you know, these periods of stability are, are not the norm. Um, and, and, and maybe we just get comfortable, uh, you know, when somebody like Obama is, is in place. I, I think that these things uh, come and go, and, and you have to pay attention. If you get too comfortable, uh, you get lazy, then people come getting, uh, you know, can take it away. So, I actually, and as you come to some other thoughts about that, the rest of you, uh, please address that. But the one point I wanted to bring up to tack on the, uh, uh, the sort of the energy level do you 
find that there is there a potential for activists fatigue settling in because there there are so many issues in so many different arenas and um, I know it's more efficient if one can be a proactive activist and get ahead of that but it's sort of that, that's sort of impossible at this point because there's so many things coming out of uh, on, on I call it the national leadership level I'm not just talking about the White House right now so um, are you finding that you are still able to get in a proactive kind of mode with your activism or is it all response right now and since January 2017 who wants to take Tara sure so this is Tara speaking um, I think there is a real danger of just getting fatigued and overwhelmed with this sort of deluge of events coming down every day um, at the national level and just you know even if you're very involved in in local issues things are fast-paced in the policy world especially right now so, um, you know, one thing I've learned as someone trying to talk more with, say, folks in sociology and humanities is this concept of self-care, which, frankly, mm-hmm. I did not, you know, I thought that was some weird hippie stuff before or something. But um, um, but I think that is very important for all of us sort of student leaders and, um, and activists to keep in mind. To sustain it. Yeah, Alex? Yeah, this is Alex again. Um, So several things. I think, first and foremost, a lot of people get burnt out after one to two years of any sort of engagement. Um, And in order to maintain that over the long run, it's important to to understand uh, some sort of or or maintain some sort of philosophical religious drive, um, whether you're atheist or religious or whatever, but something that inspires you and compels you to continue going over the long run, right? What, what is this long-term vision or focus? I think the other thing that's really important is to not get distracted. Um, if you find your niche or you find your focus or you find your way to have a big impact, um, uh, it's really easy to get distracted by what's coming oh. out in the news every single day. I want my um, distracted uh, supplement. Yeah. For, for me, my focus is, is energy and, and, uh, and sustainable development, 100% renewable, how we can get there, climate change. Um, that's still big. And, and it's a big bite. Yeah, absolutely. But but um, you know, but but that's my focus, and I don't I don't get distracted by you know what the Wolf book said, um, uh, fire and fury. I mean, we already know the man's incompetent. So, um, uh, like I said, it, it's really important to stay focused, to to understand what your niche is, and then and maybe have some sort of uh, grander vision or understanding that that motivates you and pushes you along, because it's not a sprint; it's a marathon. Yeah, and exactly. That, and that's how you're going to avoid getting burnt out. So that kind of long that that helps you, Amy, be more the long vision to be more proactive. It's, it's much more efficient than just reacting. I mean, I know that's that's an obvious science theoretic a point to make there. Richard, what's up? I just wanted to add. Yeah, it is. It can be exhausting, especially since last year, because we are responding to a lot of things, especially on the student government level. Right. We've had a very hard time getting ahead of the changes, especially from DeVos's Department of Education. And I was just in D.C. a couple months ago lobbying against the potential grad tax that was part of the um, Tax and Jobs Act. So there we are doing a lot of response. But the good news is that while we are doing all of these actions in response, we are also, you know, planning our next move. And as more students come in, we're able to kind of keep the stream of people who are involved refreshed. 
And then two, uh, for those of us that are in grad school, it's a game of, it, the whole idea is learning the long game. Research is long, it's exhausting, but you keep going at it. And I think mm -hmm. that really applies to policy. That helps. Um, because, you know, we're used to setbacks and we're used to failures and we're used to getting up the next day and going at it again. And I think that's very important for anyone doing any kind of activism work. Christy. And I just like to quickly um, echo what Richard said. Um, I mean, I think it's important for everybody to remember that the resistance is working. And we saw that very clearly when it came to, as Richard mentioned, the um, grad tuition tax, right? Right. We brought in so much resistance into Congress that they ended up leaving it out. And that's a huge win for us. I mean, obviously, we couldn't, you know. It looked so bleak <laughs> the week before. It, it did. It really did. But, um, I mean, people, you know, did their part and they participated. They called the representatives and it worked. And so I think that's an important thing to remember. And also, like what Richard said, um, it it is a, or it is a long game and that um, change doesn't happen overnight. And so we just have to remember that um, we have to stay persistent. Speaking of focus and all and pro being proactive and, and all of that, I'd like for any one of you to talk about all the opportunity for coalescing. I've never seen so many organizations and that the or so many organizations means forums that are happening now well ahead of even the primary. I'm, I'm thinking of last November, was it October? where there were 12 candidates, actually that's where, that's the first time I met met Alex, but as a surrogate for his candidate, Brian Ford. So um, I'd like to, for you to talk about the potential or maybe the, the yield so far with coalescing with, and I was mentioning, well, we've got Climatepedia stepping into this now. There's Climate Science, Climate Action OC, there's 314 Action, and then there's the Climate Science Legal Defense Fund. I don't know if you've been, you know, tapped, where, where you're finding, like, this is, this is the match made in activism. It's firing some really good results. Or you're, you're, they're a work in progress right now. Well, they all are a work in progress and always will be a work in progress. The This is Richard speaking. It is Richard. One of the beautiful things that we've seen come out of Trump's election is people getting involved. And like Alex said, it, it will be a cycle. People will come in and out, but... We're seeing it on levels that I think we haven't seen in at least a decade, at least since the start of the Iraq war, uh, of people getting involved, and maybe even more so, especially for the STEAM community. 314 Action, Climatepedia, all of these groups have um, started up and are really, you know, literally taking to the streets with, say, the um, Science March last year, but also getting people to call their representatives. One of the most encouraging things that I've seen in recent days is num is the numbers are coming out. There have been more women who have registered to run for office uh, in the 2018 cycle than we've ever seen before. And so I think even if we don't win all the elections that we want to, and we won't win all the elections that we want to, it's still encouraging to see people are starting to become civically engaged again. And so I think, especially with the STEAM community where a lot of people kind of get in their ivory towers. If we can get them out and either get them running for office like 314 Action is doing or get them involved in um, political campaigns and in the offices of policymakers, which is really one of the focuses of the science policy group to get people into advisory roles, uh, I think that's where we can make a difference. And, you know, 
there are some silver linings to the Trump administration in that we're getting all this activism. Okay. For those of you who you, uh, just joined us and you want to, maybe you missed the earlier part of the show, you can always get the, the full show of this or previous programs for Ask a Leader on my website, askaleader.com. And my guests are UCI's Science Policy Group. For, and these are my five guests are for the whole hour. The three from the UCI Science Policy Group are Richard Prince, Christy Mortales, Tara White, and they are joined by Alex McDonald and Nick Paganini. So I want to know, are there, I mean, we, we mentioned the, the congressional candidate in the 29th coming down here. Are, let's, if, if there's, are there some candidates that just blow your, your minds that are so exemplary you can't believe that we have the, the, the chance both to, uh, you know, to draft engaged people, uh, bright people, or people that bring new dimensions. Is there, is there anybody there on the scene? I mean, this isn't like a partisan thing, but just sort of like, it's a name drop of a very intentional sort. <laughs> well, I should say Science Policy Group is nonpartisan, but what we've seen is a lot of interest from both sides, but from the Democrat the Democratic field, we've seen a lot of interest from their candidates, and for good reason. They've got some really good candidates running, um, uh, so many that I won't be able to keep up with all the names, but I know we have... It is hard, because, I mean, they're averaging about eight in, right. in Orange County's delegation alone. But it's, it's interesting to see, because it's we have candidates running everything from the city level, where we have um, one UCI professor, Kev Abazajian, who is running for city council. We have um, scientists running against Dana Rohrbacher at the federal level. Um, Hans Kierstead is a former is a neuroscientist who was formerly a professor at UCI, and so we're seeing this just everywhere at every level. We have um, people running for state um, in LA that are neuroscientists, and previously the realm of politics and science was something that was a lot of times dominated by physicists, and but now we're seeing it in every field. It was, and you know, I I had a little theory about that, and it's in the the um, plan, planning doubt that uh, Oreskes wrote, if you remember that. The Merchants of Doubt. The Merchants yes. of Doubt, right. They, they plan it out. The, and I, thank you for bringing that up, is that she said everything about that demographic of physicists that were out of the Cold War, they were behind the power curve, no longer having the Cold War point, point uh, being a problem. And that, so they made so much mischief in public policy, and she said everything but call out. They were they all felt like they were on the autistic spectrum, and they had such a narrow view. No, I'm not. I mean it. A view. The, the every description of hers was except for that aspect of it. So, I'm I'm thinking. Now we're faced with an opportunity for for science and tech and and all that. It's a much broader kind of disposition that they take to public policy. And it's, it's a whole new day that way as well. Right. I completely agree. I mean, uh, scientists need to sit at the table. What What's the number right now? There's only two scientists in Congress or something like that, there which is incredibly... Oh, sorry, Richard. What well, and the cabinet, too. I mean, just... They're, they're taking on scientific positions, but they're, they're not at all science trained. Yes. I think most of us this would consider many of them unqualified, to put it mildly. 
So, so here we are. We're faced with though candidates that are being drafted. We don't have we don't have candidates that are can be running for a cabinet position. That doesn't work that way. But so, uh, but it is a new day. Yeah, Alex, add on. Yeah. So, um, you, you had mentioned you know what sort of candidates you might find appealing. Yeah. Um, myself, I'm working with Brian Ford. Uh, what what I find him most interesting, you know, I think we have a lot of lawyers in D.C. Um, he he has this triumvirate of experience, public-private, having worked in the Obama White House, having been an entrepreneur, um, uh, working in Nicaragua and uh, with, with a telecom uh, company, and also an MIT lecturer uh, who was raised um, here locally and, and went to public school. And so I, I think his broad wealth or range of experience allows him to appreciate technology, uh, appreciate you know what goes on nationally and how that affects here, locally here in the California 45th, in a unique way that I think a lot of other candidates can't. So just wanted to make that plug. Since yeah, well, he gets to plug himself. That yeah. I'm going to have them all, and I'm going to remind listeners and everybody that in the spring lap we're going to do here on Ask a Leader, I'm going to have every congressional candidate on this show or podcast, because I, I don't have enough slots, give them about half an hour piece from the... 39th, the 45th, the 48th, and 49th congressional districts. So, and that, I don't know anybody else is going to be working on that, but, and I, I've learned nobody gets any, you can just tell Brian this, yeah. Alex, he's getting no talking points for me because the minute they get any heads up, they go right into their stump and you didn't know there was a host in the show. So I, I, I've got to <laughs> hold them. <laughs> no, it's about, it's about them, but it's not about their stump. And, and like, I mean, I, I'll uh, I'll warn them. I'm going to turn their microphone off if I hear a stump coming up. That's uh, that, that's what years of experience get you on here. So anybody else want to talk about? It? I mean, Richard, you've seen sort of a, a a type of candidate coming through that has a much broader range. Maybe maybe you've already had a chance to say something about that, or or Christy, uh, what over the years from oh Alex had one more thought about that. Well, okay, so just on to that, there's a, a great article that came out in November 16th of 2016 called The Right Way to Resist Trump, and it talks about, it, it makes the alliteration or the comparison between Trump and Berlusconi in Italy, who are both um, sort of uh, pompous, populist billionaires, and, uh, and, and... Media moguls. Media moguls, yes, yes. And, and you know, if, can I read an excerpt from the, the article? All right, a quickie. Okay, so the, the Italian experience provides a blueprint for how to defeat Mr. Trump. Only two men in Italy have won an electoral competition against Mr. Berlusconi, Romano Prodi and the current Prime Minister Matteo Renzi. Well, he's no he's longer... No longer, no, no longer, yes, the former. They, they flip him fast. Yeah, albeit only in a 2014 European election. Both of them, however treated Mr. Berlusconi as an ordinary opponent. They didn't focus on his character. They focused on the issues. And in different ways, both of them were seen as outsiders, not as members of what in Italy is defined as the political caste. And so I think uh, uh, supporting candidates like that, I mean, Hillary Lover or, or Hater, she came with a lot of institutional baggage that, that a lot of people had already made up their mind and about that candidate. And two ovaries. Yeah, well, no, but a lot of people made up their mind about that candidate. That's my point. And, and so somebody perhaps like Kamala Harris who also has ovaries, um, uh, may be better positioned, I think, to take on somebody like Donald Trump. Uh, and, and so I just, uh, I, I think as for, and, and this, the STEM interaction, this idea and this focus on, on the facts and, and how do we get to the issues as opposed to getting caught up and distracted in, in character. Because I think people who support Donald Trump have already decided that his character is, is not, um, not of concern to them. And, and so really, uh, you know, say looking at Berlusconi and how he was defeated twice, uh, and, and this came down to the issues 
and, and, and somebody who didn't have political baggage, a bit of an outsider who was able to go toe-to-toe and demonstrate to the Italian public why Berlusconi was, was um, uh, not their best representative. Yes, Richard. You know, on that note, uh, listening to other radio shows, I know I was listening to NPR last night, and they had a millennial caller on who made it very clear something that I agree with, which is as a generation, my hope and my thoughts are we are really looking for candidates who talk about the issues. Now, we've, you know, we grew up with the Iraq war, we grew up with the recession, all of these things that prompted these big speeches, these big promises that then fell through. Well, let's talk about the issues now. And that's what I really think we're looking for in our candidates. And one of the things from a scientist perspective that's really going to stand out in the next election is the fact that um, a lot of our science agencies, EPA um, and others, agriculture, FDA are either manned by non-scientists or they're not manned at all. The Office of Science and Technology Policy, um, which is out of the executive branch, is literally on a ghost staff right now because there's been no science advisor named. Um, none of the positions have been replaced. And I think these gaping holes in the administration are going to be very noticeable come election time. So here's the tall order. With there's, Here's one factor is that when I listen to the generation or two older than you that are wringing their hands out. I mean, they said on the at the election result in November 2016, they said thanks for all the fish. Like this is this is we're this is game over. So you're an emerging technical class that has a different disposition. You you're you're very optimistic by in comparison to that. There is in the near term, there's all these like what Alex was talking about in so many other words. There's these shiny objects. We had, after the Golden Globes, we've got a Twitter storm over a highly unqualified person who might be drafted to run for the executive office. And, you know, that drives me nuts. So we've got that irresistible temptation for our attention to be drawn to those shiny objects. And so you're going to carry the torch. How are each five, all five of you, as we're wrapping it up, how are you going to make STEM and policy together in the, at its intersection, the shiniest object we can ever think of. So this is Tara speaking. I think um, for myself and many others, we're trying to find ways to talk about science in a very relatable way. And because um, the thing is, you can't solely rely on facts. They're going to ve- be very dry. And there's actual scientific evidence <laughs> pointing into facts, kind of ironic. But anyway, there's scientific evidence that people just won't change their views after hearing facts. Right. Um, and if they're, if they're repeated, it's really hard. Right. It can actually kind of backfire and right. they can become more entrenched. So we need to find ways to... Um, tap into people's emotions as well and that combination of factual and emotional sort of connection um, I think is going to be a good strategy. Alex? Yeah, I I think the trick is to uh, think global but act local. And so, you know, with all of these things, especially with policy, you've got to sell or compel somebody on the idea. And so instead of telling them what what you think they need to know, Find out first what's important or interesting uh, and exciting to them. Make it personally relevant. It's not something that's far off and distant, 
but something that they can put in, in their back pocket, find compelling and affects them and their loved ones. And when you do that and you connect on a personal basis, that's then how you can interweave facts and make them compelling and make them interesting and excite people to their position. And again, not getting caught up in, in character, questions of character, but rather how is this personally relevant to you and how is this going to make a difference in your life? Christy? Um, just to echo from Tara and Alex, I you know completely agree with both of them. I think we really need to learn how to better engage with the public um, and reinvigorate their imaginations, right? Like when we're all growing up we uh love to hear you know whatever stories um like from reading books or watching shows playing video games and stuff and as we get older we kind of lose touch with our imaginations and i think we um you know that's more prevalent in certain demographics than others and so i think just reinvigorating people's imaginations and um getting them excited about you know science and how it will better society Okay. <clears throat> Nick. This is Nick. So stemming what, from what Alex, Tara, and Christy have all said, I think one thing that we can all do is try to educate our, our, our children in society. And one thing that I do as part of, as a member of Climatepedia and as a um, kind of a step-in volunteer for an organization called CLEAN, it's an acronym run mostly by graduate students, is we go to local middle schools in Santa Ana and we just educate the students about um, clean energy, about what climate change is, about how feasible different renewable energy prospects are. And it's actually really enlightening for these young minds to see like um, renewable energy at work and see how we can kind of evade fossil fuels in the future. And it's definitely something I never received when I was a child. I wasn't aware of anything that fossil fuels did or I wasn't aware that climate change was a thing till. Um, my college years. So I think that if we get this information in these young brains, it'll really be, make a difference for the future. Well, you got to watch the John Rosendahl Dog <clears throat> and Pony Show. It's an annual event, and the Department of Physics puts on this amazing demonstration that it, it is so cool that the when John John Rosendahl uh, passed away, and that's why it's him his memorial, but that the his graduate student said, I remember those demonstrations that he put on, like the bed of nails and all that kind of thing, but they don't remember as much his lecture notes. So anyway, so there's your model, though. You can you know, take your dog and pony out there because they've, they've got it, but they'll be staging their annual in this month, and I'll make sure you have the information. Richard? So kind of to wrap up what everyone's been saying, I think the thing that we've got to do uh, moving forward is just tell our stories to everyone who's willing to listen and even those people that aren't willing to listen and show them that scientists are real people that science makes a difference in their lives at every aspect and two things that I always like to keep in mind is science is the best system humanity has ever devised for um, finding out how our world works and so why not use that best system in policy and then kind of the thing that keeps me hopeful for the future and that I like to remind all of my colleagues about is our demographic, this under 35 voter range. There are more of us now than there are baby boomers, and we can really make a difference moving forward. Okay, fine. Well, this has been a remarkable roundtable, and if any of you liked what you heard, if we played our cards right, then... Th Several of these people, these voices in here are going to take the radio training and they'll have their own show and you'll hear this constantly. And so that, that'll take their, their communication all of it. So, Richard, let's let you close out. Well, you know, we 
came on this show talking about our event for next week, and I couldn't let us sign off if I didn't no. plug it one last time. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it's Letting Evidence Lead the Way. It's in the UC Irvine Student Center, 430 next week on January 18th, Doheny Beach, CD, and we hope to see as many people as possible there. All right. Thank the, you for having us, the, Claudia. The plug will be in the podcast, and we'll have that in. I want to thank everybody for coming on the show today. I, my guests were UCI's Science Policy Group, Richard Prince, Christy Mortales, Tara White, and joining them has been Alex McDonald and Nick Paganini. We're going to go out with just, let me give you this jingle. Doing science, doing science, doing science, making things and breaking things. Doing science, doing science, doing science, making things and breaking things down. Chemicals inside the test tubes, and you mix them all up. Doing science, doing science, doing science. Oh, oh, oh. And we're gonna, I've got an announcement as we try not to go too far over, not today. Science will save the day. All righty, everybody. I've got one announcement before I turn over the show to our new DJ that follows me. And that is next week. I want you also to put down on your calendars Refugee Awareness Week. It'll start on Tuesday and it will go until Friday. So if you will tune, uh, find there on the UCI events, Refugee Awareness Week, you're going to get all kinds of information. It's talks, art exhibits, and all that kind of thing. And I want to close with saying next week, it's going to be my pleasure to have on author Marie Benedict. And she's the author of The Other Einstein, a, a wife that sort of did, had a lot to do with relativity, but she didn't have a lot of publicity. It's historical fiction for these times with a new look uh, at a book of hers, too, that she's just coming out. In the second segment will be Julie Durrell of Bring Your Own Long Beach, and she'll take on our consumption assumptions helping us pare down waste we're so good at generating talk with you next week thank you everyone for listening